Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. you ready to write? Do you want to learn what it takes to create a writing career? Then tune in and take notes because on Simply Write, we talk about the writer's craft and the qualities and quirks of living a writer's life. Let's go. Hello and welcome to Simply Write with Polly. This is the podcast where we talk about the writer's craft and crafting a writer's life. And, you know, we've talked every week about the different ways of doing that. There are lots of ways to utilize your skills as a writer, to develop new income streams, to grow your craft. Um, whether you're just beginning or you're a longtime professional, there are ways to enter these markets that are going to help boost your income, but also create the networks and the connections and the opportunities that are fun to take on as a writer. And today we're talking about one of them, a big one that I don't think we talk enough about, and that's ghostwriting. And I've got Marsha Layton Turner here to teach us about it. Welcome to the show, Marsha. Thanks so much for having me, Pally. You have more than 80 books out, and some are written under your own name. Uh, dozens are written under as a ghostwriter under the names of other people. You write on business, self-help topics, real estate. You've worked with traditional publishing houses and uh, outlets like CNN and McGraw-Hill, Penguin, Pearson. Online, you do magazine articles, website articles, content creation, and ghostwriting. That's that's a busy day, Marsha. That, that keeps you rolling. It, it does. I like variety. It's going to take us into the dailies. What does a typical day in the life of Marsha Layton Turner look like? I have always been a night owl. And I, I think writers are in either camp. They're either early morning people, they get up and they get everything done by noon. And then there's the rest of us who stay up really late. And so we get up late. So I get up like around nine or nine 30 in the morning and I'm writing by 10. Um, I try to schedule interviews with sources or clients late morning or early afternoon, because I know that's when I'm really able to focus. My brain is up firing on all cylinders. And then towards the afternoon, I'll get more into editing or maybe starting something, uh, doing some research, but just lighter lighter tasks that don't require as much brain power. I so, then break, break like around 4.30 or 5. I go to run errands like to Staples or the post office. I try and, you know, bunch them. Uh, and then I'll come back, have dinner. And then I typically will do another couple hours of work in the evening hmm. because I have trouble saying no. 
Really? 80 books later? You're, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that sounds good. So are you doing your, you, you said you start the day with some writing. Are you doing heavy writing at two different times in the day, then the morning and the night? Or, or is there a set time when you're like, okay, I got to crank this chapter out or whatever it is? It, it varies based on the deadline. So I'm a just-in-time writer. I write based <laughs> on what is due next. So when I get up in the morning, yes, I get right into what my biggest priority is for the day. So if I have an article due, I'm going to work on that, either to start it or finish it. If I have a chapter that's due to a client this week, I'm going to work on that and really try and make good progress. But I have trouble, I don't know about you, but I can't write for like eight hours in a day. I just can't. So I need to break it up. So yes, two, maybe even three hardcore writing sessions in a day. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I can't write for like 20 minutes. <laughs> I need to break, really break it up some days. But when I have a deadline, uh, I say hanging over. It's not a negative thing. I'm grateful for deadlines because it means the work is coming out. But when right. I have something that's due that day or the next day or that week, if I don't do that, it it just hangs over me. I get stressed. I get a little anxious about it. Absolutely. And so those are the things that I start with. And I work until I can feel the stress coming down that, okay, have a handle on this. I know where I'm headed. I know what I need to do next. Or if it's due the next day, you know, I, I need to finish it and I can't go anywhere until I finish it. And those are the dailies. All right, Marsha, you are a ghostwriter along with all these other things. And give me the ground rules. What does it mean to be a ghostwriter? And how did you enter into this? What it means to be a ghostwriter is that you are a writer who can adopt someone else's voice when you're writing. And, and you know what a voice is in terms of speaking, you know, what someone sounds like. Well, there's also a voice on the page, what someone sounds like when they're writing blog posts, articles, or books. And so as a ghostwriter, you need to learn how to pick up on the cadence, the words someone uses, whether they talk in really long run-on sentences or shorter clipped you know, paces. So a ghostwriter has to get really good at that. And that's what differentiates them from authors who like if I, when I write my own book, I'm just writing the way that I prefer to write. I don't have to think about would Polly say it this way, mm -hmm. but if I'm writing your book, I have to think of, I have to get into your head and think, okay, how would Polly explain this? What examples would she use? What words would she use? Would she end this, the sentence with a question? and then answer it as some people do. So it's it's a lot more thinking through how would this person think and say this on the page. When I pick up a book, I'm not thinking whether it was ghostwritten or not. When I pick it up as a reader, I'm wanting to learn about the person who's the subject of the book, right? So mm -hmm. if I'm reading about a celebrity or a CEO or something like that, I want to not have to think, oh, this doesn't sound like I hear them on TV or this doesn't, I want it to be seamless. Is that something then you're talking about? You, you're really tuned into not only the writing and making, uh, you know, getting the information out there, but showcasing them in a consistent way. So then when they go out on the book tour or whatever, people are going to be like, oh yeah, that's what he said in his book or that's what she said. Yes, it needs to be seamless. And when you pick up a book, whether it's been ghostwritten or not, you, you shouldn't, that question shouldn't ever enter your mind if it's been ghostwritten well. If you pick it up, and as you said, it sounds like the person's interviews that you've already seen or a TED talk they've done or whatever. If it sounds like them, you're not going to wonder, did somebody else write this? 
Yeah. If it was done well. I had I had an experience with a, a big time author. Um, I read a book that she'd written about her about writing. And then I met her in person and the two just did not jive. And it was all sort and it was her own book. And I thought, yeah, we need to bring that's that's what makes people pick up our books, whether we write them for somebody else or or write our own. It's that voice on the page that you talked about. And that's a pretty intangible thing, but you know it if it's not right. To follow on with an example of my own, many years ago I was interviewing a CEO on I'm trying to remember the, the article topic, but it was it was an article that was going to go in a magazine and I had to interview him about his book. And pretty quickly it became clear that I didn't think he he wrote the book because he couldn't answer some of the simple questions that I had about the topic of the book. Um, so, <laughs> so that was tough. Oh, yeah, that is tough. That is tough. All right. How did you, I mean, you started as a, a business executive. I mean, you have an MBA. How does a business person come to writing? You know, the funny thing is many writers have had a lifelong dream to be writing. You know, when they were little, they imagined themselves writing, writing books. They were novelists. I never had that plan because I went to a really challenging high school and um, many of my classmates were geniuses, truly. I, I was above average, but I struggled with those English assignments that were like compare and contrast uh, the old man in the sea and the color purple. Like I, <laughs> I struggled. So I thought that meant I wasn't a good writer. Went to college and we had the option to either write a paper or take a final in many of the classes that I had. And I always opted for the paper. Um, because I wanted the control. If I, you know, if I needed to spend a week on this paper, that's what I was going to do. And so over the course of my three and a half years there, I, I got pretty good at writing papers. Didn't really know it yet. Went to get my MBA and I started getting A's. And I thought, oh my goodness, have I figured this out? Have I, have I got <laughs> it now? So I went to work at Kodak where my, uh, my, my corporate career really started. And um, if you all have worked in the corporate world, you know that sometimes it's a mad rush. And at other times, at least this was years ago, there are times when there isn't much to do. And so at one point during my time at Kodak, there was a reorganization going on. And they said, Marsha, just sit tight and we'll have a new assignment for you shortly. And I, I had to go to work, but I really didn't have anything to do. So I started thinking about writing a book for my dad, who was a fine artist and who had the field of dreams approach to marketing, which was if I paint it, they'll buy it. And that really doesn't work that way. So I spent my time at work outlining a book and then I'd go home at night and I would write. And so that was my first ever book. And that became really important to me later on. I left Kodak. I started my own marketing agency and I was on CompuServe. I don't know if anybody remembers CompuServe, it's pre-internet. It's like a bulletin board. You can have conversations. And I became an expert in entrepreneurship because I had been writing business plans and marketing plans. And from there, I got my first book deal from Macmillan. They wanted me to technical edit an existing book that had come in that was not what they were expecting. And I did it. I loved it. It was so fun. 
and I became known as sort of a book doctor, which eventually became to became synonymous with ghostwriter in a lot of settings. So anyway, I have this first book behind me. I now have Macmillan that really likes me and they start sending me work. So in a quick, short period of time, I write a number of the complete idiot's guides, lots of how-to, but again, I'm doing it really fast. So my agent was meeting with someone at McGraw-Hill, an editor who said, we have this project, it's gonna do really well, but the author is so far behind that um, he needs help. Can we pair Marsha with this guy? And uh, it was on a marketing topic. I said, sure, that, that sounds fun. So I, he shipped me banker's boxes of all his notes. Mm. We started talking through the outline, which McGraw-Hill had already approved. And then I interviewed him chapter by chapter. I draft a chapter, send it off to him. He'd make changes and we'd submit it. And over the course of, it had to be less than eight weeks, we got this book done. And it was, again, so fun to be interviewing an expert, learning all this material and then putting it together. And so I told my agent, I want more of that. What is that? <laughs> she yeah. said, that's ghostwriting. Oh, so... That's kind of how, how it started. That was my first project. And from then I continued to pursue them through all means possible. I love that story because we talk about that a lot on the show. Like a lot of creating a sustainable writing career is keeping your head up and your eyes open and finding those matches, saying yes to things, whether you're sure what it is or not, and teaching yourself and learning and learning the craft and talking to other professionals and, and, um, I think that is the way you make a sustainable career. I don't know. I don't know anyone personally who's making a living from only a novel. And I also don't know any writer who just wants to do one thing their whole career, which is ironic. We always talk in terms of, oh, I'd just like to sit back and, you know, have a best-selling book. I don't know a single writer who is sitting back and just like, oh, yeah, I wrote the book. Now I don't want to do anything else. They're always creating, always coming up with ideas, always identifying new skills and opportunities. And that's a great illustration of saying yes to something and learning. And and I was very upfront, Polly. I said, hey, I'm... I've never done this before. I'm happy to take it on. I think I can do it. I have an MBA. I understand the lingo. And the editor and my agent, it's okay. That's okay. Like we're, we're going to walk you through it. And you've done this before. You've written many other books. It'll be fine. And I'm so glad that I trusted them. And, and I think this is a good lesson for all writers. Just if, if you're not sure, just be upfront about it. Don't say, oh, I can't do it. Just say, hmm, I've never done that before, but tell me a little bit about how that would work until the point that you're comfortable that you can do a good job. And once you get there, then give it a shot. Yeah, I totally agree. Say yes and and be upfront. That's how I started writing speeches. I was working in another capacity as a writer with a client and she's like, oh, I got to do this thing and I can't make it work. And she's like, would you try this? And um, I love writing speeches. We're going to talk more about ghostwriting. We're going to get into some of the logistics of it and learn more about the business after this quick break on Simply Write with Polly, part of the Creators Network of Electrocast. And we are back to Simply Write with Polly. This is the podcast where we talk about the writer's craft and crafting a writing life. And today we're talking about ghostwriting with Ghostwriter and writer of everything else, just about, Marsha Layton Turner. We're talking about ghostwriting uh, because, Marsha, this is an avenue that um, 
can create a sustainable career like you're talking about. If you if you establish yourself, you learn the craft, you work hard and you have a certain expertise like with business or psychology or health or self-help, it may be an opportunity to come combine those skills with somebody who wants a book out in the market, right? For their credibility or their business or whatever into a, a lucrative career. How do we start thinking about it? You got work through your agent. Is that, do we reach out with letters of introduction? Do we find our own clients? How do you break in? And and that is the million dollar question, Polly. <laughs> right. Because there, there are a number of ways in. However, I will say that landing a book ghostwriting project is probably the hardest of all, of all the opportunities that are out there. So we talked early on about the need to figure out how to write in someone else's voice. So you need to land that first. You got to figure that out and be confident when you're marketing yourself to other people that, hey, I can ghostwrite that for you. You need a speech, you need a blog post. I I can take care of that for you. You got to be good at that. But then some people start off with short form work, like the articles and the blog posts. They develop a relationship with the client where they really understand how to write in that person's voice. And one way in might be to say, hey, you know, you've done all these great blog posts. You have a terrific following. Have you ever thought about writing a book? And then pitching yourself as the person to do that. And if you've been doing writing work for them, you're the natural candidate. So that's one way. Another way is, as you mentioned, if you have an agent that you're working with for your own books, tell them, hey, I'd really love to do some ghostwriting work. If you come across any projects for which you think I might be a fit, I'd love to be considered. Some writers get the vast majority of their work through agents and publishers on the traditional side. They are often memoirists. They're, they're writing memoir. Uh, that's that's not my thing. So that's why less of my work tends to come from agents at this point. Another way is really just to position yourself as a book ghostwriter and to pursue that kind of work. And there are lots and lots of people who are looking for help in drafting the book that they envision. Those Those are direct agents and then starting with the smaller things and working up are probably the three main ways I would say to get into book ghostwriting. I think you made a good point. Like, like get working, right? Have create, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I've, I've never ghostwritten books, but I've done a lot of newsletters for uh, executives or, or entrepreneurs who wanted stuff to go out to their, their clients and wanted that kind of connection, things like that. And for mm -hmm. me, that's what I want to do right now. I, I, but, but that's also a way to, I mean, do the work before you try to sell the work, I guess is is what I'm saying. Get yourself out there, get some credentials like in any other part of writing. You talk about clips and magazines. This is what we're talking about. Like get a track record so you have something to show. And and I guess I would also mention, because you brought it up, if you're writing for big name magazines or websites, that can also attract work your way. If If you're if somebody reads something that you've written and they think, wow, you know, that, that writer did a great job and that's in my industry, maybe they'd be a good choice for me as a ghost writer, you know, if they'd been thinking about having a book written. So even just doing your day job of writing for magazines and websites, you may also attract ghost writing work. 
Now, does the writer set up the structure of collaboration? Does the client do that? Does it depend? And you talked about getting all these notes from one of your, your ghostwriting clients and interviewing and all that. Are there times when they're hard, they're reticent about the process? They just want the book. How do you navigate all that collaboration? I can only speak for my process, but I, I think it's pretty similar for most of the ghostwriters that I know. And I'm more familiar with the nonfiction side, just, just to be clear. So on the nonfiction side, the process, I, I think, has naturally evolved just based on the, the publishing process. You start off with an idea and you confirm that maybe there are some people who are interested in it. Then you work up an outline that becomes the table of contents for the book. And then you work through each chapter generally in sequence, because it makes sense to kind of see the arc of the message that you're trying to convey. And then you go through one or two rounds of edits on the end before you hand it off to whichever publisher or book producer you're working with. So that's the typical process for nonfiction. For fiction, it, it could be very different because it's, it's not necessarily based on information that's already available. Uh, so, so I can't really speak to that process. And does the, I assume all your clients are reading their own book that you're writing, right? Oh. And they're giving <laughs> feedback and, and are they attached when you know, as a writer, there are certain ways things have to go in or shouldn't things that probably shouldn't appear. Is there ever any pushback? Is that a negotiation or does a client win that battle? Different ghostwriters have, would have different answers to that question. Sure. In my mind, the author is my client. I'm a service provider and they've hired me to help them with this project because they think I have expertise that they don't have. I know about the publishing process. I've written books. They typically haven't. So I'm holding their hand and I'm saying, this is how I would recommend you do it. But I personally do not insist that a client do something unless it's illegal, which I've never encountered or um, just dumb, but it's, it's their decision. If I write something and they say, you know what, that's, that's not really how I would say it. I would say it this way. Great. Here, let me fix that. Or um, they include a story and I say, you know, that really, that story doesn't fit with the other, the rest of the message of this book or this chapter. I would recommend you take it out. If they say no, it's really important to me that we include that just for personal reasons. Okay, it's it's their call. I mean, unless they're working with a traditional publisher who then says, no, you got to ditch the story. But that's between the author and the publisher. I give them my my best advice and then it's up to them. But it really is a collaboration. And I think that's why we're hearing the term collaborator and writing partner more in these discussions about ghostwriters, because it is two people or sometimes three or more coming together with the goal to produce a book. And everybody's bringing their own expertise to the process. The ghostwriter can't write the book, again, nonfiction, can't write the book without the expertise and the guidance and the stories of their client. You can't, an author just can't come and say, hey, Marsha, I have this great idea for a book. I want to write about lobsters. Go, go, go do it. 50,000 words. Well, no, <laughs> no, no. Um, 
not enough guidance. Why are we writing about lobsters? What's <laughs> the story behind it? What? How does your expertise fit into this author? What do you need to tell me? I mean, it's just me interviewing and trying to draw that information out, but it is a collaboration. I think people are becoming much more open with acknowledging that they've worked with a ghostwriter, which of course, I don't fix my car on my own. I don't know how to do it. I collaborate with the mechanic and take my car in and say, hey, it's making this funky noise. Can you help me? And he or she, she says, sure, let me take a look. So I don't think it's any disgrace for those people. Not everybody's going to be an author. Not everybody can write a book. It's it's hard for the people they can. So I like that that's changing a little bit in the market. And And that is exactly what I found in my dissertation. So I did a doctoral dissertation titled An In-Depth Exploration of the Field of Book Ghostwriting. And as part of that, I did find that in the last 10 to 15 years, the shame that's been associated with admitting that you had help with a book um, has really declined as more and more celebrities and authors are saying, of course I had help. Of course. You know, I have a day job. I didn't have time to write this all on my own or I'm really good at this thing, but I, I've never published a book. Of course, I hired a ghostwriter to work with me. I always thought growing up, all these presidents would come out with these big books while they were in awe. I'm like, I hope he is not sitting at his desk writing a book while he's managing, you know, the Cold War. I don't want to see that happening. Yep. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Let's talk about the bottom line a minute. How are you paid? Does a client pay you? Does a publisher pay you? You work through agents and contracts between you and the client and all those things? So the payment arrangements vary typically based on how the book is getting published. So if you have an author who has a contract from a traditional publisher, they may have received an advance against royalties because the publisher thinks the book is going to do well. Sometimes ghostwriters will negotiate to receive a percentage of that advance or a percentage plus some other fee or a percentage of the advance and a percentage of the royalties. That's, but it's between the author and the ghostwriter because the publisher has made their financial offer to the author. And now the author has to decide, how am I going to get this done? Um, I work primarily with thought leaders who are, more often choosing to go the self-publishing route or the hybrid route where they're handling the production of the book. They do this because it's much faster to get the book out and they have more control. But again, I am negotiating with the author about the cost for my services and they can decide yes or no, like how their publishing doesn't really impact me. It's the two of us. Mm -hmm. I always advise ghostwriters not to accept a percentage of royalties as the basis for your pay. And the reason is, and you can probably guess this, Polly, <laughs> is that the average number of books that are sold or that a title sells is like 100 or something like that. You know, most books that come out are not blockbusters. So uh, just to explain how advances work. An author gets a, an advance against royalties, meaning the publisher has calculated how many books they think the book will sell. They give them an advance, which is a percentage of the royalties. And once all those books have sold, then they start getting, a, I think it's a check every six months or something for royalties. But so few books ever get to the point of earning out that advance. 
So if you as a ghostwriter negotiate to get a percentage of royalties, you are probably negotiating to get a maybe a huge percentage of zero dollars. So I strongly advise ghostwriters not to do that. And authors, you need to understand when you're, you may have a terrific idea for a book, but if you're offering only to pay based on royalties, you're off, you're offering zero dollars and most ghostwriters can't live on zero dollars. Yeah. And I think the the authors, the clients need to know what they're going in for. The book is going to do a lot of things for them, yes. but it's also an investment for their business, right? They're going to pay you. Do you do an hourly or project fee or a book fee? Is that is that generally the, the ways people do this? I personally quote on a project basis, and yeah. then I break up the payments into 10 based on milestones that we hit. So they pay a down payment to reserve my time. And then as I deliver chapters, they pay other pieces. So it's hopefully not a huge amount when they pay me and they have received work along the way. I'm hearing more and more ghostwriters charging on a monthly basis, however. Mm. They estimate how long it's gonna take, say six months or a year, mm. and they, then they divide their fee up by six or 12. That's mm -hmm. a monthly fee that needs to be paid. It's not tied to production. And I think that can also work well. The problems arise when the book takes either less time or more time. Right. Because then, you know, who, who pays? If, if you're not done in 12 months, you've earned all your money, but the book is only half done, then that's, those are just challenges that I could foresee. Yeah. But more and more ghostwriters are choosing to work that way and really liking it. They like the steady income, which is one of the biggest for sure. Challenges of writers, of writing. Yeah, for sure. And writers, listen to this. I, I think Marsha makes a really important point. If you go for uh, the royalties, right, no matter how big the dreams are of you and your author, you're going for a very big chunk of zero in most cases. I will be upfront. I got a royalty check, which makes me happy because it means I sold out the advance, right, which wasn't huge, but I did. I got a royalty check a couple weeks ago for $3.58. So I had a sip of beer and that covered it. And then I went about my business and that's okay because I'm a professional. I know what's going in. I look forward to that bestseller one day, but it's not the only thing I have going. So if you are taking on, especially a book project, that's a huge chunk of your life with this client, with this author for a year or longer. And uh, that's a, that's no money at all if you're going for royalties. So make sure you know what you're getting into. Educate yourself about ghostwriting. That's why I'm having Marsha here. I don't do uh, any long-term ghostwriting projects. I haven't yet. And and so keep that in mind. Know what you're going into from the business stand. Present yourself as a professional. You're providing a service. Um, and you need to think about that before you sign on the dotted line or anything else, I would imagine. And Polly, if I can just jump Please. in. One thing, and you, and you just said it, but I want to spotlight it. When an author produces a book, they're getting a lot more than just sales from the book. In fact, for many business people, that's they don't even really care about the sales of the book because being able to call themselves author, laying claim to that, will then open them up to new business opportunities, client opportunities, speaking engagements. There are lots of other new profit centers that emerge totally unrelated to whether the book sells a single copy. Yeah, important to know. I wrote uh, a, a training manual for one organization, and the whole point of that was for them to place themselves in the marketplace as the expert and do more trainings. And it worked to their advantage, and it worked to my advantage. But yes, you know, 
what Marsha is saying is so true. It's it's an investment for the business owner to leverage more business. Yep. Your business is the writing. So make sure it's it's paying. An- another point, and then and then we're gonna have to move on, but I could talk about this. I'm so interested in how this is working. You touched on it earlier, uh, Marsha. You said you were providing a service and i hear writers from time to time complain about this too they will be working for a certain magazine and the editor will have changes and the writer doesn't want to make the changes and very rarely do i need to really put my my head in the sand and argue about because my whole job is to give the magazine editor an article they can use for their readers and their client if you are ghostwriting your whole job is to serve the client you can share your opinion but your job is to do what what they need done is it is that how you see it yes that's absolutely how i see it they have hired me for a particular project i am responsible to do my very best to give them the best finished product. Sometimes they get in the way of that (laughs) with some of the decisions they make. I can't control that, but yes, I want to do my very best. However, you need to put some boundaries around that so that your project doesn't take five years and you're paid $10,000 for it. Like you gotta, you gotta say, Hey, we're going to work this long on it. Here's the pace. Here's how long the book is going to be. Here's how many rounds of revisions we're going to do on it. And then we're going to agree that my job is done. Yeah, that's one of the challenges I run into with my other writing aspect is that timeline. If you have a client that's constantly revising and editing and over, and they're missing the deadlines and it just stresses me out because <laughs> I know I'm missing my deadline and I'm that prevents us from going on to other work then because we've got a commitment to those. It's interesting, Marsha, any words of wisdom if if we listen to this and we want to enter the market, is there a place we can start today to learn about ghostwriting? I think there is so much that's being written right now about ghostwriting that if you Google it, it, you will come across some great articles. As I said, I think getting in, especially to book ghostwriting is the hardest. And so just understand that. Don't quit your day job and say, I'm going to be a book ghostwriter if you've never done it before. What I have always advised colleagues who are thinking about it is to be willing to accept a lower payment for that first book, because that's going to get you in. That's the huge barrier to entry is that first ghostwritten book. It has to be ghostwritten, not just your own book. Um, So I would look at sites like Upwork. I know people are cringing now because there are some low priced, (laughs) low paying opportunities on there, but you just need one. You know, just just get one where you can say, I'm a ghostwriter. Yeah, good advice. Good advice. And Marsha was, I want to, I'm tossing this in too, because we're talking about opportunities and things to go. Marsha was on my other podcast called Simply Said, and we were talking about vision boarding. And so go back and listen to that, because that's another aspect. When Marsha's talking about the, the book she's ghostwritten, she's also written some of her own. So she's out in the market hearing how people talk about the services they need, how to get them, that the opportunities out there. That's a good idea, no matter what kind of writing you're doing now, is to get out there. And not only have fun and create and expand your skill set, but pay attention to what people are looking for. And you're going to land um, a network of other writers that are going to help you learn about things like we're talking about today. 
All right, time for my favorite segment. This is What's in the Desk. Marsha, is there any office supply, pen, or notebook, or anything you need to have around you when you're writing? My very favorite pen is a Muji. It's called a Noctype pen. I don't know why, but it flows so effortlessly that that I just love it. So Muji black pen. I love that you brought up a pen. I don't get enough pen responses here. (laughs) I think that's why I'm a writer, just so I can buy those office supplies. One of my favorite pens is a Muji fountain pen. Just saying. (laughs) I enjoy it. So that's what's in the desk. All right, that's going to wrap us up for this week. Marsha, I learned so much from you. Thanks for taking time to talk about us. Where can we find your work, work with you if we have a project in mind when we need a ghostwriter for it? How can we track you down? Sure. Well, to learn more about me specifically, you can look at my website, which is MarshaLaytonTurner.com. The... But for people who are thinking about becoming ghostwriters or who want to search for a ghostwriter, another place to look is the associationofghostwriters.org, associationofghostwriters.org. There is a page on there that says find a ghostwriter. You can search our directory of veteran ghosts, or you can fill out a form and ask me for help in finding someone who might be a good fit. And I will put these in the show notes and you can get it in our weekly Simply Write newsletter. And you can find that at simplywrite.substack.com. So join our free community and get these links and keep up to date on what's going on out there in the market. All right, writers, it's time to get to work. And today, as you go out into the world and get the writing done, remember the words of Richard Castle. See what I did there? Look up Richard Castle before you go around quoting him. Remember the words of Richard Castle, who wrote, some of the best books published every year are penned by talented writers whose identity the public will never know. Now it's time to get to work. Sit down and simply write. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric cast. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here. And I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric Cast Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. Electric acid.